The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us, Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you. And see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The uh, infamous woman at the well. Uh, it's a story that is, as you heard, quite long, uh, somewhat confusing, and not particularly easy to wrap my mind around. Like a lot of the stories in John's Gospel, it is a story rich in both text and context. Uh, that is, there are a lot of things going on in the story that the original uh, author uh, and hearer would have understood. That's the context. Uh, and then the text itself is really a, a pretty high-level back and forth between two very intelligent people, one of whom is um, used to finding and using advantages probably wherever she can. In many respects, the woman at the well reminds me of the modern skeptic, and no doubt we can find shades of ourselves in her as well. She begins with kind of stubborn bewilderment. Uh, she moves to argumentation and sort of a hopeful uh, confession before she ends up getting her entire town to confess that Jesus is not only Messiah, but the Savior of the whole world. This is actually a wonderful model for what a conversation and for what a conversion might look like with someone who does not believe, even in the 21st century. The story begins with three odd occurrences. The first is that the woman is getting water alone at noon. This is part of the context that the hearer would have instantly understood. You may have heard this before. Most women get water in the morning together uh, in a group when it's still cool. Uh, why is she going at noon by herself? Because she has no friends. She is of low reputation. She has already been cast out. The second oddity is that Jesus speaks with her. This just was not done in the ancient world and in many parts of the, uh, in this part of the world still to this day, it's often not done. Uh, women perhaps were not worthy or seen as being worthy of direct address, and it was just a boundary that was not crossed. Uh, or it would be uh, inappropriate to speak to another husband's wife. How far we have come, right? Now we have virtually no boundaries on what is acceptable speech between men and women, and I think that's a loss, actually. But the third oddity is this underlying enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans, which is made quite clear. Uh, not a word really should be spoken between an honorable Jew and a less than honorable Samaritan. But of course, a word was spoken by Jesus first when he says, give me a drink of water. And now we understand why she is so astonished and why she responds, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, 
a woman of Samaria. So she is shocked, to be sure. She is trying to make sense of the situation. She has probably gotten very used to living a life in the shadows of hiding from reputable people such as Jesus. She surely felt some shame or embarrassment in this moment because she knew that she was unworthy. Though getting harder to find, there are still some who are convinced that Jesus cannot have anything to do with them today because their sin is too severe. They are still ashamed of who they are and what they have done. But this is simply not true. And this is part of what this story demonstrates. Jesus is not afraid of any sin or any sinner. He is not intimidated. In fact, Jesus is willing to offer us forgiveness if we only ask. This woman was afraid to ask. Well, for good reasons. As I've said, those were the conventions of the day. So how loving it is of Jesus that he starts this conversation. If he did not initiate it, it never would have happened. And he tells her that if she would ask him for water, uh, teaching again to all people at all times that we can dare to speak to Jesus first, that he would have given her living water. An odd phrase, it could very well harken back to Exodus 17, when the people demand water, and twice, by the way, in Exodus, Moses provides water from a rock. But the sinner today who refuses to approach Jesus is depriving themselves of this living water. And if you are concerned that you are too great a sinner, ask Jesus for this living water, and he will give it to you. Now, we have some more rapid changes in tone as the conversation progresses. The woman now is a little bit off balance. She's, as they say in boxing, on her back foot. She is confused about how things are progressing, and she starts to stand her ground a little bit, perhaps maybe even being a little defensive. She's not dumb. She's very bright. She challenges Jesus in a way that is not so different from how we might challenge Jesus. She asks, well, are you greater than our father Jacob? And so how is Jesus challenged in our own day? Well, in so many ways, right? Uh, Jesus and God generally is often patronized as the sky daddy. If you've never been in a conversation with someone who calls God sky daddy, you just haven't lived yet. Uh, it, it is said to be absurd. It is said to be absurd to believe in God. His laws are arcane, they say, and he's proven to be cruel and genocidal. Uh, science now has all the answers, right? Science with an exclamation point. We don't need superstition and hokey religion anymore, don't you know? The modern concern isn't whether Jesus is greater than Jacob. Uh, that nobody worries about that anymore, but rather if Jesus existed or if he was just a liar and a fraud. I can't provide, of course, all of the answers to that here, but suffice to say that trying to make sense of the world without God, that is the truly absurd position. 
Our position is that our choice is between Christ and chaos. And I'm borrowing that phrase from another pastor who, who said it quite well. Christ or chaos? He who has risen from the dead and who will draw all men to himself. Yes, Jacob, Jesus says, I am greater than Jacob. Now, unable to move Jesus, right, and now beginning to perceive that she is wise, now she's going to give some ground. She opens up a little bit. There is now a, a tenderness uh, in this moment. It's a very delicate moment and even more delicate moments to come. And this is what we should always be on the lookout for. Uh, if we are so lucky as to have conversations with friends or family uh, about our faith, uh, which might begin about our church, but hopefully gets to Jesus Christ himself quickly, this is the opening we're looking for. This is the tenderness we are hopeful for, right? She has dared to admit, okay, well, you, you may not be all bad, right? She seems to acknowledge she has some, some ability here. He's a prophet. And that is when you move in, not for the kill, of course, uh, but for the life. Some years ago, the guys from Babylon Bee interviewed Elon Musk, only, you know, the richest guy in the world, pretty, pretty influential. Most of the interview is pretty boring. It's out there on YouTube if you want to watch it. But right at the end, they make a really nervous attempt to try to transition to Jesus and elicit a confession of Christ as Lord. Babylon Bee, after all, is a, a Christian enterprise. Well, Mr. Musk uh, is not a believer, but he does quickly indicate, not unlike this woman, that, you know, hey, Jesus was a pretty interesting guy. And, you know, a lot of his principles, like turn the other cheek, sound like a, sound like a pretty good idea. I can get on board with that. That's the opening. That was the opening that was presented. But instead of a few thoughtful questions daring to push, and I understand it can be very intimidating when you're in a, a room with a powerful person, but instead they, they really make a, a sad attempt to get Mr. Musk to make this pledge, to, to confess Christ as Lord, a kind of an, an altar call, without any of the prep work, you know, or without any of the preaching per se, which actually I think could be frankly almost, uh, I don't want to say uh, blasphemous, but um, it really didn't honor God in that moment either at all. It would be worth watching, if for nothing else, to, for you to ask yourself, uh, you know, gosh, what would I say if I'm in a position, if I'm in a conversation with someone who, who expresses some interest in Jesus, gives him, you know, throws him a bone, right? Hey, that Jesus guy is all right. You know, he turns water into wine. He can't be all that bad. See if you can get them to kind of rethink their concept. What would you say? What questions might you ask? Indeed, Mr. Musk's response reminds me of this woman's next move, which is to give some credit to Jesus, but not still to see the whole picture. She says, I perceive you are a prophet. Oh yes, of course, and more than a prophet. Jesus' response is that true worship of the Father is coming soon, and it won't be on any mountain. It won't be limited to this mountain in Samaria or this mountain uh, in Judah. Jesus is breaking down barriers all over the place. It isn't the Jews or the Samaritans that will have this special relationship with God. All can worship God through Christ, precisely because he is more than a prophet. 
So you see, it's a progression, right? It's kind of hostility, then it's, oh, I see this, and Jesus, oh, yes, and more. Oh, I see that, oh, yes, and more, right? But hearing Jesus' great promise, the woman is now at a place where she is daring to believe. And this is the most sensitive, fragile, and scary place for both the Christian and the unbeliever. The door is now barely open, and it can slam shut really fast. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, which seems to be her way of saying, are you the Messiah? She's throwing it out, right? It's it's almost like she's fishing. Well, I, I know the Messiah is coming. Something incredible is happening here. Could you be the Messiah? which was, by the way, a popular belief in Jesus' day. Given certain prophecies, like in Daniel, there was an assumption that the Messiah indeed was coming in this this time frame. Well, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. You can rest in him. He is the one to trust. So many false prophets and teachers and even wicked men posing as religious authorities have come and gone. But you can trust Jesus. And find people who point to the true Jesus without adding extra teachings about miracles or tongues or prosperity or overbearing obedience. When that happens, you have what happens at the end of the story. When the true Christ is found, you have what happens. The entire town believes this woman, and now they dare to believe not only that he's a prophet, not only that he's the Messiah, But they come back and they say, well, we've heard you with our own two ears, and we are saying to Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. Pretty big confession. As they say, well, that escalated quickly. Why did John share this story in the gospel? You know, he really has a few chapters where there are these really long stories. You know, he doesn't tell a lot of the quick stories like the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are these long, very detailed stories, really rich, really contextual. And I I think it's a model of our own journey to Christ, how it often goes, right? And the journeys of those in our midst. We doubt, we posture, we mock. Right? We dare to believe finally, and then we repent and we fall before God with an open heart, no pretensions anymore. We come in all humility, frankly, feeling dumb for ever having doubted Him in the first place. That's the progression. And every step of the way, there's the loving Jesus accepting us as we are, and He is showing us who He is again and again and again. Of course, he calls her to repentance. There is that whole uh, section in there where he understands she's been married multiple times. She's not with someone she's married. He's not ignorant, right? Are you on this journey? What part? The beginning? The middle? The end? Do you know people who are? To be clear, we want the whole world to get where this town got to confess Jesus as the Savior of the world. And our mission is clear. We are to lovingly recognize in others that their sin and our sin is keeping us from God, as this woman's was. 
And we are to work through the defensiveness and even the mockery, the grandstanding, the posturing. And we are to present Jesus as the loving receiver of sinners that he is. With the Spirit's help, we will hear a confession of Christ as Lord in return. Amen.